So let's pray and we'll begin. Uh, Lord, uh, we praise you for this opportunity to meet in your name and with your people and around your word. So, Lord, we do give you thanks. We thank you for your mercies of this day. Uh, We don't just say that as a matter of rote. Uh, We surely need them and are grateful for them. We're grateful for your commitment toward us. Lord, that, that is our hope. And you've demonstrated that commitment beyond our wildest comprehension by giving us your Son to redeem us, Lord. Uh, that's the ultimate demonstration of your commitment to us. We are forever grateful. Lord, as we study uh, the works of your Son this evening, help us understand them, increase our faith. Equip us, Lord, to teach our children. Equip us to share these things with others. And equip us simply to honor you in the life that you've given us. Lord, uh, we ask your mercy upon our nation. And uh, we are demonstrating in so many ways that we cannot save ourselves. And we pray that this lesson could be learned and by mercy and not by judgment. Lord, but we submit ourselves to you, and uh, uh, that's we don't know much else to say, but we do pray for our brothers and sisters in other nations that are persecuted, and uh, that you would make them strong. And we pray for the progress of the gospel in our lives, in our community, in our families. With one another. We pray for more opportunities, Lord, but enable us to be faithful and not ashamed of you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, uh, we did our chronological marathon last Wednesday. <laughs> and uh, what we are doing now, if you get page 139, is we mentioned that there are events that are unique to the Gospel of Luke. And on our chart, if you've been with us, we're doing purple here tonight. We're, we're doing these events that we find in the Gospel of Luke. And we're beginning up here um, <clears throat> where Jesus is in Samaria. You see our chart here? This region is Samaria. And Jesus is traveling somewhere along the border between Samaria and Galilee as he's heading south. And so that's where we're going to pick it up tonight in Luke. And what we'll do, maybe the next two weeks or three, we'll go through these unique events of Luke. And our emphasis right now is historical. Um, We're going to look at these passages, but we want to point out some of the things that we might not understand historically and work through these passages a little bit. But our emphasis is a bit historical here, and we'll do theology later. So, uh, there we are, uh, traveling, uh, Samaritans, discipleship, and um, sending out the 70. So, we're going to go straight over to Luke chapter 9, and beginning in verse 51. And your comments and questions are always very welcome here in this class. It, it really adds to our time together. 
So, uh, we're heading south. Uh, we're somewhere in Samaria. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans. Most likely, these were some of the apostles uh, going on ahead, uh, seeking to find lodging for a particular evening. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans. So they were taking the short route to Jerusalem, weren't they? Maybe I should show you the map. Let me see if I can do that. Remember how there were two routes. The short route, if you're in Galilee, to go to Jerusalem, you have to go through Samaria. Notice that? You can't get to Jerusalem west. This is west of the Jordan River unless you go through Samaria. So Jesus is on the short route heading toward Jerusalem. Now those Jews who refused to go through Samaria, they would, they would leave Jerusalem and they go to Jericho and then you have to cross the Jordan and then they go all the way north on east, which is not in Israel territory either. <laughs> But they wanted to avoid the Samaritans so bad they would make greatly lengthen their journey. And so they would go across here and go north. And then somewhere up here they'd have to cross the Jordan again to go into Galilee. Jesus is on the other side here. And they're either traveling in Samaria or on the border. And we know early on Jesus traveled north and he was in what city? He was in Sychar, wasn't he? Which is right here. Uh, very early on in the Gospel of John, as Jesus is heading north, this is where he met the Samaritan woman. So that's roughly where Luke has them placed here at this time. So they're going south, and they're going to prepare. Uh, they go into a village, but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. So there's long hostilities between the, the Jews and the Samaritans. And I won't review that, uh, but they went very deep. And, they, and so here you see that. <clears throat> now, uh, and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Right, and um, they were probably they weren't joking. <laughs> you know, we we smile and laugh about it, but they actually they they were not joking. They had worked miracles, right? They had already cast out demons, and uh, they they think this is an appropriate response, and. They are completely wrong. Uh, true, now Elijah did do something like that during, uh, during the days of Baal worship and the king that, the king sent out three companies of troops to try to arrest Elijah or try to make Elijah come down. And Elijah called that fire down out of heaven and, they, and the first two troops were consumed and then finally the third, 
Was it the third or fourth? How many times? It was either two or three times. And finally, the third time, the commander of the troops bowed down, asked for mercy, and, and didn't act as though the king had the authority to command the prophet. And that third company of troops, Elijah went down and talked to the king. So that's the incident that they're talking about. It's an Old Testament account. And Jesus turned and rebuked them. He very strongly rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. Uh, And that's very true. Uh, They think they're doing something righteous, don't they? They're confident that, that that they are righteous and they are just completely out of sympathy with the Lord. And we've seen this other times in the Gospels, haven't we? And I just, I just urge all of us just to be a little patient and humbled by that because sometimes we are so zealous and, and we think we are so in sympathy with Christ and we're really not. And they weren't, so he rebuked them. Now, some of your Bibles will read different here. This is not in some of the texts. It's a textual variant. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Most likely another Samaritan village. <laughs> so they went to another village, and another Samaritan village must have uh, welcomed them. So something here in my own, let me look at my own notes here. Uh, I want to say one other thing. Um, So this scene was very different from Sychar initially because two and a half years ago when Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well at Sychar, Jesus actually spent three days with the Samaritans. So this was very different. Had James and John already forgotten about all of this? Had they forgotten two and a half years ago that Jesus uh, welcomed the Samaritan woman and they spent a couple days right there in the Samaritan city? Apparently they had. Now the alternative to getting even was to bear the insult and simply go to another village. That's all they needed to do. Bear the insult and just go to another village. He and his disciples went to another village, presumably a Samaritan village, which did welcome them. Uh, Luke's the only one that included this incident. And, and again, it's, I think it's very instructive for us. Um, any thoughts or comments on that? Benjamin. Well, but they they were not going to welcome him because he was Jewish. And it was very clear uh, that that you know he was Jewish. And they were some of them, you know, were simply hostile to virtually all Jews. And I'm sure what they thought is, why isn't he taking the long route? So did he suppose they knew who he was? 
No. Well, they knew that he was, they were Jewish. Right. I don't know. I don't know. But you see, it, it's simply evidence of the prejudice, uh, whatever word we would use, that uh, no, they're not going to be hospitable. These are enemies. Um, the, you know, the, these are these are enemies. Why why would you know why would they be hospitable to their enemies? And I mean, both sides gave plenty reason for that kind of you know hatred. I I mean, there was only one thing worse than being a Gentile, and that was being a Samaritan. <laughs> You know, to to many of the Jewish people. So, but you know, Christ is Christ is going to cut through all that, and and so he rebukes them. You know, and that's a strong word. You know, he he rebukes. He you know he doesn't stoke the flames of his disciples, and instead he simply re, he strongly rebukes them. You know, and he doesn't say, "Yeah, we need to get even." You know, he just strongly rebukes them for their, for the way they reacted. Were were they mistreated? Of course they were. You know, of of course they were mistreated. And uh, so, you know, it's hard for us, those of us that haven't experienced that type of, of um, call it what you want. Uh, racial animosity, that, that kind of thing is hard for us to, you know, to, to experience, see that. But, um, that's what's going on. I don't know if I'm answering your question or not. This is all the information, you know, the information that we have. But the important thing here is the Lord Jesus is on display, and so he doesn't countenance this at all. Of course, he's going to teach you know, love your neighbor, and he's going to teach love your enemy, and uh, he's going to turn around and give that parable of the Good Samaritan. That's going to come up. That's unique in Luke's account. And he's going to give the parable of the Good Samaritan, and he's going to give that to a Jewish audience. And the good guy in that parable is the Samaritan and not not the Jews. So... Anything else? Uh, comment, question? Okay, so let's go on now as they're traveling. Now, Luke 9.57. Now, it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And we got three incidents now where there's superficial responses to Jesus. I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So that's Jesus' response to this first individual. I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus' response conveys to this professor that he doesn't realize what following him actually entails. 
the individual is overconfident, Jesus always discouraged superficial responses to him. That's, that's what's going on here. So this guy is very confident. Does he have any idea where Jesus is going? He doesn't, right? <laughs> he thinks Jesus is a pretty great rabbi and he's known other rabbis. And, and so he makes this unqualified statement. And that's the problem. I will follow you wherever you go. And so he says, well, um, you want to live like a fox? <laughs> Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He, I have, he has no permanent residence. Yeah, I was going to say, this world is not my... Right, and... And so he challenges this guy that he's he's overconfident. So, um, so Jesus always doesn't encourage a superficial response to him. All right. And then Luke, as he tends to put things together topically, this may be one of those cases. So we have another example. Then he said to another. Now, Jesus initiated this next one. Okay, The, the first one was initiated by the individual, but that Jesus initiated this next one. Then he, Jesus, said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go preach the kingdom of God. Now this one this one is a bit more challenging in this second case. The individual requests a delay for what everyone would think is legitimate, should be done, and is even according to the law. Well, not quite everyone. Jesus says such delays are unacceptable. Shocking. Now, true, Jesus is likely referring to the spiritually dead, as seems to be clear from his comment, let the dead bury their own dead. You know, how do we understand that? Maybe he means let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. He probably is doing that. But the message is clear when it comes to following Jesus. There can be no delay. In this case, Jesus gives him a further command. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. So we don't know who, you know, who this individual is. Um, but there can be no delay. Um, you, you don't react, you don't interact with the Lord Jesus like there can be some delay in your commitment to him. <laughs> Uh, then the third case, uh, the third case is here, uh, and another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Now, that sounds like his family, right? Those at his house, likely, likely his family. 
I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, put these statements in the context of what is in his mind. What is in Jesus' mind on this journey? Crucifixion. This whole passage starts, he set his face steadfastly to go to Jerusalem. Okay, that's what's on his mind. He, he is, he's not turning back and he's going to offer himself as a sacrifice for us. And that's his thinking right now. That's how he's obeying the Father. Okay, and I think that is reflected in, in some of these responses. But, uh, uh, so no one, uh, here's the problem, uh, you don't look back. You put your hand to the plow, looking back is not fit for the kingdom of, of God. Now, let me get here, let me read my own notes. So this third case may be a warning against divided loyalty. Uh, following Jesus means forsaking all competing loyalties. This is similar to where he says, he who does not um, hate his father, mother, wife, or, or, you know, is not worthy of me, or he who loves them more than me is not, he who does not worthy of me. It's that similar type of thing. There, there cannot be a divided loyalty here. There can't be equal loyalties between the Lord Jesus and anyone or anything else. Um, and that's why he says is not fit uh, for the kingdom for the kingdom of God. So um, there is no place for looking back at what one has left, and looking back is dangerous. Looking back is dangerous. Dangerous. People that apostatize, at times it begins because they start looking back. Maybe they, they, they are now suffering. Maybe now they're following Christ because, you know, things have gotten worse in my life now that I'm a Christian. They, they haven't gotten better. They've gotten harder. Now that I'm following Christ, things have gotten more difficult. And, I mean, read the book of Hebrews. That's exactly what happened to early early Jewish Christians. And so, there, you know, Demas turned back. Demas has forsaken me in love of the present world. Paul, Paul had, a, you know, one of, the, one of the persons following Paul, you know, turned back. And, you know, looking back. So it's dangerous uh, to look back. What's the famous looking back illustration in the Bible? Yeah, some of you know Lot's wife. They came out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the angel of the Lord, or the three men, what did they tell them when they flee the city? They said, get out and go and do not look back. Don't look back. And they fled the city that morning, and then Lot's wife turned and looked back, and the text says she became a pillar of salt. 
So, now, interestingly, uh, you know Elijah and Elisha? Elijah permitted Elisha to do this very thing. When the prophets are, when Elijah is going to go off the scene and Elisha is going to take over and uh, Elisha wants the mantle that Elijah had and Elisha asks to go back and Elisha knows that his life's never going to be the same (laughs) if he's going to follow Elijah. And Elisha asks to go back and bid farewell to his family. And Elijah grants it. Elijah grants the request. But not Jesus. So, Jesus' demands are greater than the law and Jewish tradition. All Jewish tradition would agree that you should be allowed to go back and do this. But G- Jesus' demands are greater than the law and all Jewish uh, tradition. Uh, J.R. Edwards makes a perspective co- comment regarding Jesus' demand. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Quote, Jesus' shocking reversals of universally acknowledged moral duties is an important example of implicit Christology. Let me interpret that. In other words, this is my words, in other words, who does Jesus think he is to make such demands? That's his point. (laughs) Well, someone greater than the law, prophets, and Jewish tradition. Exactly. That he can make these kind of demands simply as a reflection of who he is. And that's why he can say, whoever doesn't love me more than all these most important relationships, what? Is not worthy of me. It's nothing other, it's nothing more than simply the greatest commandment. Correct? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That, that's what his expectations are. And so he's greater than any prophet, he's greater than any tradition, he's greater than the law. And and he speaks and behaves that way. Now, if he's just a rabbi, he's completely out of line, okay? If he's a teacher, or even if he's just if he's a prophet, even if he's Moses, he's out of line, even if he's Moses. But he's greater than all of those. He's the Son of God. Okay, he's the, he's, he's the eternal Son of God. And so, uh, we've crossed over to, you know, to, to worship. You know, you worship God only. And anything you make more important than God is a what? An idol. Okay, anything you make more important than God is an idol. You love something more than God, it's an idol. You trust something more than God, it's an idol. So Jesus talks that way, and that's why Edwards says there, there is an implicit Christology behind this as to who he really is uh, in these uh, examples. Okay, so uh, any comments on those? I mean, personally, it's very, it's very challenging. 
you know, uh, Jesus goes and asks Peter, you know, three times, do you love me? You know, after, after his resurrection. And that, that wasn't Jesus being harsh, but, um, so, but I'll tell you this, we will never love him as he loved us. <laughs> okay, and none of this works if we're not saved by the cross and truly believe what that means. And the hymn writers express it. Lord, you know, I give myself away. What that great hymn uh, by Isaac Watts, when I survey the wondrous cross, you know, and all I can do is give myself away. And that's how the gospel works. And when we're in our right mind and our, our faith is operating, <laughs> you know, we're not always in our right mind and our faith isn't always operating. It doesn't mean we're not Christians, but but that's how how it works. He loved us first, and he made that kind of sacrifice for us. So, uh, you can't obey, you can't respond to these things without all of the gospel, you know, like a moralist or a legalist. So, but Jesus expects us to read everything he wrote, by the way, or, you know, <laughs> In order for us to understand the gospel, we're expected to, you know, study our entire New Testament so we can get it right. And so, uh, yeah, Richard. I think um, that may be related to the person who had a single eye, I think. Oh, yeah. That's a good... Yep. Yeah, Jesus is, teaches that illustration about, um, uh, oh, I can't quote it correctly, but the idea of a single focus, single eye, not divided loyalty. It, it, yeah, that principle. That's a good thought, Richard. Yeah. Okay, all right. So uh, let's keep on going. Now we get to Luke 10. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And uh, I got quite a few more notes on this and this one. Uh, Sending 70 uh, to announce the kingdom. Now, it's not certain that Luke's after this means immediately after this or not. But Jesus sends 70, and then very few labors, into a great harvest. Uh, then he said to them, these are the 70, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So, the ESV translation there is, to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Now, the mission is fraught with danger. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. So, I mean, lambs are defenseless among wolves. They, they, they have no means of defending themselves. So, obviously, someone else has to defend him. Correct? 
I send you out as lambs among the wolves, but Lord, to follow you and obey you is the safest thing I can possibly do. And we have to tell ourselves that time. There's no safer thing to do than to obey and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever the situation is. And I mean, I have to tell myself that time. You know, I mean, there's all kind of temptations. You know, ours are not that serious yet in our culture. But we have other kind of temptations. We're in a situation and you're afraid. If I tell the truth, something terrible could happen to me. What are you going to do? Follow me. (laughs) It's safer for you to tell the truth. Overall, it's safer for you to tell the truth. You might get fired from your job. Uh, Your wife might not talk to you for a month. (laughs) Whatever. And, you know, I'm, I'm, it's kind of funny, but it's true. I mean, we are tempted in our closest relationships, right? Let's be honest. In our closest relationships, we're tempted to lie. And may God help us not do that. But I'm telling you, the way not to do that is to know what Jesus is calling you to do. You know, lambs among the wolves. But he's sending me. So their mission, they don't have enough laborers. It's fraught, with, um, it's fraught with danger. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Not only that, carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. So he sends them out in a way that they are dependent on him. I think that's that's the reason for don't take a lot of money, don't carry a money bag. It doesn't mean they didn't take any money. Uh, sometimes they put it under their belt, but don't take a money bag, uh, a knapsack. You don't need to, you know, stuff, you know. A week's worth of, of, of stuff in there. You know, like when you're going camping, you go, how, how much stuff we got to take to go camping? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Is it loaded yet? <laughs> you know? Uh, don't take a knapsack. Now, now, nor sandals. There's a lot of interesting discussions about that. Uh, you were thinking about that, right? Were you thinking about the sandals? I, you know, I don't know. Some say it means don't take a second pair of sandals. And I'm not going to ask you how many pairs of shoes all of you have in your house. We, we Americans have a lot of shoes. There's a lot of people that would love to have two pairs of shoes. Some would love to have one pair of shoes. So, nor sandals. You don't take multiple sandals. And greet no one along the road. That's an urgency kind of thing. Uh, sometimes, you know, the greetings would be extended back and forth, back and forth. And you'd spend a lot of time... Uh, greeting people along the road, but no, you're on a mission. Uh, there's some urgency about this, so greet, greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. And if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. 
uh, do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. And heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, what they're doing, likely what they're doing when they enter a house and they stay there and they say peace to this house, what they're doing is this is shalom. Okay, this is this is a Jewish concept of shalom. And what they are doing is, is they are explaining that Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus, whom they are following, is inaugurating the kingdom. And Jesus is calling the Jewish people to repent. You know, they've been listening to Jesus now for two years. And they've been listening to Jesus preach the kingdom, call people to repent. They've confessed Jesus as what? The Messiah. And when it's peace to this house, that's a, that's a compacted statement of them sharing the gospel of the kingdom with this house and saying Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, and they really need to recognize that the one coming, they went before him, and the one coming behind is none other than the Messiah inaugurating the kingdom, and he is the one who is going to bring in the shalom. He is going to save Israel and bring God, you know, God says, I'll bring peace to my people. So that, that's what they're doing, uh, and it's in, you know, very uh, contracted format here. Uh, so, it's synonymous with what we would say salvation. Uh, Matthew. This has always been like thrown me off. Um, like reading, like it says, but whatever house you enter. Is that like a cultural thing back then? Or they were like, yes. Absolutely. There weren't, you know, you couldn't check into your local Motel 6 or have a bunch of choices. And uh, you would, you, hospitality was kind of expected. Uh, I mean, that's what's going on between the Jews and Samaritans. The Samaritans are denying a very culturally ex, ex, uh, expected thing is that you provide hospitality. And so they are going and... Uh, they're going into Jewish villages, and those Jews are some are offering them hospitality. Okay. So, so likely though, there's seventy of them going out. So there's thirty-five different teams here, and as they go into those houses, I don't think they are preaching to public crowds very much. I think they're going out. They're, they're hospitably, they're being hospitably entertained, and in that context, they are preaching the kingdom. You know, yeah, I, I think that's probably what's going on, and they're gonna stay a few days in each house and explain and preach the kingdom, and then go on. We don't know how long this, this mission was, and so forth, uh, we, you know, we don't know. And it's only in the Gospel of Luke. But I think there's a lot of principles here that are going to apply to all disciples. You know, this is not just the twelve. This is now the broader scope of the disciple. Now, Jesus did do this earlier with just the twelve. So, this is, he's come back around. Now, where the twelve are during this time, I don't know. And whether the twelve are part of the seventy, that I don't know either. So, uh, Wendy. Carrying it in the money bag, snap, snap, snap. 
those are the things that burden us down as human beings. And those are the things that concern us with those emotions. And they shouldn't, but they do. And Disney just basically saying, stay focused, stay on track, stay on, on the mission that I have. Sure. And stay on, stay on target for that. And that's what I'm seeing is that urgency to stay focused. Don't get distracted by the things that are going on around you. Just like what I have to yeah, I, I, I'm sure that's in there. Too many things are going to distract you. And, and I'm sure that's in there too. I think the dependence thing is in there too. He doesn't want them to be overly trusted on those things. You know, remember the, the parable of the soils. What's the problem with one of those soils? The cares of this world. And so often the cares of this world are tied up with our material possession. It's a major temptation for us as Americans. I mean, for almost virtually all of us as Americans. Because we have such a material prosperity and that, you know, the more stuff you have, the more you're going to be distracted and worry about it. I, I tell you. And it doesn't, it doesn't love you back. It's slow. We're slow to learn that. We're, we're, we're slow to learn that. And, you know, we, a man's life does, it's Jesus who said, uh, you know, the guy that built the bigger barns. Remember that? And a, a man's life does not what? Consists what? In an abundance of things. Jesus makes that statement. So they're to preach a piece to this house, which I've explained that. Okay. So Verse 10. But their mission is going to be greeted with acceptance and rejection. They're going to experience both on this mission. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, how would that be determined? How would not receiving them be determined? Was that? No. Rejecting the message. Which would be rejecting the Messiah. How, the, the way they're going to determine whether the city receives them or not is rejecting the message. Whether they receive the message, they're open to the message, or whether they're rejecting the message. Okay, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, that's how it's going to be evident uh, that they don't uh, receive you. Uh, and you'll see that in a moment when we get to this passage, what not receiving them looks like. So, if they don't receive you, go out into the streets and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. Okay, so what's going on here? Uh, this was a Jewish tradition when, when a Jewish person had traveled outside of the promised land and when they were entering back in and when they were crossing the border from Gentile territory to Jewish territory, they would dust off their feet not to bring pollution from the heathen nations into Israel. So, what this is doing here, this symbol that Jesus tells them to do, 
is to treat that Jewish city, it's a message that they're no different from the heathen. That's what that means. They're rejecting the Messiah. And you know, this fits with the rest of the New Testament, correct? That if you, there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile, both on the believing and the unbelieving side. This city is demonstrating unbelief in the Messiah Jesus, so they are no different than a Gentile city, even though they have the law and Abraham is their physical father. So that illustration here really almost is like a harbinger of what's going to happen as this unfolds. The Jews that reject the Son of God are going to lose their privileged status and they're going to be like any other Gentile in their standing before God. So it's a powerful symbol that Jesus you know, tells them to do. Once again, there's implicit Christology there, right? Who does Jesus think he is? <laughs> well, he knows that he is the Messiah. Uh, and so... And uh, look then what he says. This is Jesus' teaching here. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. You know, they've heard the message. They've heard who the Messiah is. They've been called to repent because the kingdom of God has come. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than that city. The reason Jesus says verse 12 is knowledge makes responsible. Knowledge makes one responsible. So although Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, are held up as the ultimate places worthy of God's judgment in, in Scripture, Jesus is now saying, well, it's going to be more tolerable for them than even for a Jewish uh, city who have had had the gospel, had the gospel of the kingdom and the Messiah, and they turn around and reject him. You know, so where does that leave Western culture? Right? Where does that leave Western culture that's had the gospel for 2,000 years? More tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for Western culture that has had the gospel and has had the Son of God proclaimed and has turned his back on him. I mean, there's a little bit of difference there because the Jewish people were in the covenant. So, but the principle is there. And now you see this interesting at this point when Jesus gives him this part, it triggers him to mention other cities that are in deep trouble. Woe to you, Chorazon, woe to you, Bethsaida, uh, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, uh, Gentile cities, Tyre and Sidon, way up there in the north, mostly Gentiles, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Uh, but it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. So, 
This triggers Jesus to think of where he's already been rejected and in those cities. And those cities are all up there around. Let me show you those cities that he mentioned. They're up here. They're all up here around. You know, there's Capernaum, there's Chorazon, and then Bethsaida. They're all at the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. And when we did the Great Galilean Ministry, we were always in this area. And the greatest miracles were worked up here in Galilee and all around uh, this, this area. Just Jesus spent a lot of time up here. And that's what he's, he's referring to. Bill? Yeah, in your uh, dialogue here, Jesus and the disciples were traveling south through Samaria. Where did they cross back into Israel? Between Luke 56 and 57? Or is it clear at all? It's not clear. But you're saying these are Jewish towns, these last ones. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. So if, if I, if, if they are still up there, if those incidents are somewhat close to each other geographically, the way Luke puts them, then they're probably on the border and they're still going into, uh, either Judea or Galilee. Let me put the map back up again. Uh, but I'll tell you, it is really, really hard to, it's, I think it's almost impossible to, to nail that down. I mean, if they're traveling along here, you see, here's the border. Okay? So they could be going into villages in this area. So once they get to this part of the Jordan, then they would have to cross the Jordan. So I, I don't know. You know, they, they may not actually be here. We know the incident above when the Samaritans didn't give them hospitality, they were somewhere here, right? This incident, that's one of the difficulties of putting them here. Where are these villages that are going before him? Or is he already down here in, in Judea? You know, that's, that's possible. He could be down here in Judea in, in this, in this area. Uh, I don't, I just don't know. It's, it's very difficult. You might work on it as an exercise of just getting familiar as much as you can. So, let's see a few other things that our Lord says here. So, as Jesus prepares them for this mission, he goes off and he says these other things about these other unrepentant cities, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. I want to come back to this where when you read the gospel, sometimes you can lose, well, what, what are these people really fundamentally expected to do? And it shows up right here in this statement. They're not repenting. That's the problem. Israel needs to be saved. They're lost. Their sins need to be forgiven. They need to repent. And they're not doing that. Just like everyone else. And we, we've seen this in other, earlier in our studies. What Jesus is looking for is when he preaches the kingdom. Look at the Beatitudes. This is what he's looking for. Blessed 
are the what? Poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You know, blessed are those who, what? Mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who, what? Hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's the repentant heart. Those beatitudes are describing the repentant heart that Israel is being called to do. And some of those came out to John the Baptist and what? They confessed their sins and he baptized them in the Jordan, didn't he? They were humbled. They were repenting. That's what's being looked for here. So when the condemnation comes, that's the problem. You know, and Jesus has to say, do not say that Abraham is your father. You know, John chapter 8, multiple places. You know, anyways, it's, it's just significant what Jesus says the problem is. The problem is no repentance. They would have repented a long time ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. And, and how do we understand repentance? The Old Testament has plenty of examples of what, you know. There, there was a day of, uh, the day of atonement once a year. And it was an external thing. But they were to what? They were to smite their hearts once a year and, and humble themselves. Uh, that, day, that day of atonement when their sins were being atoned for sacrificially, there was this external thing. They, they, were not to, they were not to put on their fancy clothes, you know, encouraging them on that day of atonement to, to have a heart that reflects what that sacrifice means. That sacrifice means we have sinned, we need to humble ourselves before God, and we need to ask His forgiveness. You know, so you know, I, that sackcloth and ashes is, is what triggered me. If you, if you read the Old Testament... You'll see that. And there was one day a year they were supposed to do that. And so, repentance and faith gets you into a right relationship with God. (laughs) And praise God, we can do that because of the sacrifice. Now, so I said, how can you tell if, what does it mean the city won't, won't receive you? I, I, I explained what that meant, and here's why I explained it that way. He who hears you, what? Hears me. He who rejects you, what? Rejects what you say, rejects me. So the way you know a city has rejected them is the rejection of the message they are bringing that Jesus gave them. So he who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. It sounds like we're in the Gospel of John, doesn't it? (laughs) It does. does. Jesus explicitly talks like this in the Gospel of John. So, what awesome authority disciples have. You included. When you come with the message... (laughs) From Jesus Himself. This hasn't changed. And, and I believe this is true. Right down to the present day. Those that bring a faithful message about Jesus as the Son of God to others 
are doing this very thing. That's how he intended, he intended it to work. He who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So, we, we're not told how long the mission was or what. The next thing we know, they've come back. <laughs> uh, then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subjected to us in your name. So, they, they are excited. They come back. And uh, he says an amazing thing. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So they didn't realize it, but while they were out there on this mission, <laughs> Jesus, of course, was empowering their words. <laughs> and Jesus was watching Satan fall and Satan's kingdom begin to be dethroned as they went with the message that he gave them. And now that, of course, is what's going to happen across the entire world, <laughs> right? I'll build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. So they start in Jerusalem and they end up in Phoenix. Praise God, okay? <laughs> you know, we started in Jerusalem and here we are in Phoenix. So, so Jesus is, is saving us and, and, and saving throughout the world. But so it says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Uh, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. These are symbols of evil spirit. Scorpions and serpents are symbols of satanic evil. Okay, The power of Satan and that type of thing. And they are given authority. You know, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You have that promise as a Christian. I'm, you know, isn't that amazing? And you have that they overcame him. You read it in the book of Revelation, right? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And you read the book of Revelation, Satan loses. The saints win. <laughs> the saints win. And even if they're martyred, they win. And they don't deny their profession. They win. And Satan is pushed out. His dominion is pushed out. And people are saved. Every one, every one of us that believes in Christ is, is an example of this, you know. We're, we're slaves. We're slaves to sin and Satan until Christ saves us. If you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. So Jesus says, you know, they're rejoicing. And Jesus uh, confirms that. So, and I give you power over all of the enemy and nothing by any means shall hurt you. It sounds like Matthew chapter 10, doesn't it? Another one of the mission when he sent out the 12. Your hairs of the head are numbered. Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. This sounds like Matthew chapter 10. You know, uh, your, hairs, your hairs are numbered. But then he kind of brings them back. You know, let's get shifted as what is really the most important. Uh, we need that, nevertheless. Uh, so he doesn't completely throw water on their, you know, he doesn't water on their parade. Nevertheless, 
Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Isn't that great? Nothing shall harm you. Your names are written in heaven. Yeah, you have this mission. It's great. But just remember, this is what to rejoice over and never lose sight of, that your names are written in heaven. And uh, we'll stop there, and we'll do this very significant uh, verses next week about Jesus is rejoicing at he at that at this point in time. But any comments or questions that that you would like to have, Ben? Oh, this is actually from uh, Brian. Uh, so. The unbelieving Jew is under uh, is under his, his life during Jesus' day is under stricter judgment, a greater judgment for rejecting him. Yeah. Yes. So Brian's question is that does that does that mean that every adult in Jesus' time heard that message necessarily? You know, I mean, I don't know. I I mean, I know Jesus attempted. You see at places there's an urgency that he wants to reach everyone. He, he wants all the cities and villages to, to have the opportunity to hear the gospel and be summoned to repent. We, we talked about that earlier at places in the great Galilean ministry. He goes, you know, I must go to the other cities also and preach the kingdom of God. So he did personally make some attempt uh, to do that. And, and you see that it, it, it carried over in the apostolic mission because it was what? To the Jew first. And then also to the Gentiles. So when Paul goes out amongst the dispersion in all the other countries, if there's a synagogue in that city, he always goes to the synagogue first. So. Fame spread far and wide. Yeah, and his fame, you're right, Sue, his fame did spread far and wide. Now it's interesting. He didn't spend a lot of time in the south. He didn't spend a lot of time in Jerusalem, but on, on occasions he did. So, so I don't know if I've answered the question or not. I, I, uh, I, I would think most, most of the Jews of Jesus' generation did, did hear. But they had another opportunity. They, they had 30 more years, correct? Yeah. Prior to 70 A.D., so prior to the destruction of Jerusalem and Israel by the Romans in 70 A.D., you know, Jesus said, okay, start in Jerusalem. And we're reading that in Acts chapter 2 and 3. So, so their opportunity still isn't over yet. It, Most of them didn't leave Jerusalem until the dispersion, until the persecution started. Right. So, but, but they, they had another... And Jesus warned of all that. Knowledge makes responsible. Anybody else? A question or comments? Okay, uh, let's see. Matthew, lead us in prayer as, as we finish tonight. Lord, thank you for blessing us with the opportunity to join together, Lord, and learn more about you. Thank you for giving Pastor Dan the knowledge that we have and the teaching ability that we have, Lord. I ask that you please nourish our minds 
into the Word, and please uh, let us know safely tonight, Father. And thank you so much for for today. In your name, I pray. Amen. Amen.